0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May.
1: So I'm going to segue in I'm coming into this time I wouldn't want to do that. Um, but I would say one thing. Before I read this verse, Sheila and I in 19 or in 2013, we're in Israel and we're staying at a hotel on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And... Um, the elevator stopped at every floor because it would be considered work to push a button on an elevator. So they're very legalistic over there. And the Pharisees are getting into uh, Christ because he's working on Sunday. and um, So it starts with, but um, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him, because he had been working on Sunday. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him, and he healed them all. I'm sorry, I'm so nervous. And in um, order them to, I'm so nervous, I'm shaking. And in them not to make him known, this was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Would you say that Isaiah is actually speaking God's words? Yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So through Isaiah, God said, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name, that Gentiles, that's us, will have hope. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ernie and Sheila, for, for your words and for reading the text today. You know, I love uh, being around new believers. Do you? There, there's such this passion to, to serve God and to, and to love people. It's, it's, uh, their, their passion, their zeal is really contagious. But it's interesting that as we go along in our Christian walk, we know that that passion and zeal ought to only grow, right, for the Lord, But all too often, this zealousness that we once had for the things of God begins to fade due to the frustrations of life and even the the frustrations of the Christian life and all of the difficulties that accompany the faith. As uh, as part of the ancient Olympic Games, the, the Greeks had this event called the torch race the torch race, and the winner was not necessarily the first one to cross the finish line, but the one to first cross the finish line with the torch still lit. Think about that. The Bible often compares the Christian life to this race that we are running. And you know, I want to run this Christian life all the way, I want to endure to the end and I want to do so with the flame of my torch still lit for the glory of God. And I think that resonates with all of us. I, I, I know you're like me and you want to remain passionate about the things of God. You want to remain uh, having a, a love for his people. But if we're honest, we know how difficult that can be. As we look at the ministry of Jesus today, I love this text because I I think it gives us encouragement in this area. We find some insight as to how you and I can keep serving the Lord with joy and with gladness. So, in our on our journey through the Book of Matthew, we've seen that many of the first century Christians, as Ernie said, have they've rejected Jesus. many reasons. They've rejected the notion that he is Israel's Messiah. Even in spite of all the miracles that we've read about, they still said, no, he is not the one. And what I want us to see is how Jesus responded to that opposition. Did he quit? Did he give up? Did he lose his passion? No. Look at verse 15 with me. Jesus, aware of this, in other words, aware that the religious leaders were after his life, he withdrew from there, and many followed him, and watch what he did, and he healed them all. I love it. Jesus withdrew from the one place because his time to die had not yet come. There was more ministry to do, but as the crowds followed him, even after opposition, what did he do? He kept ministering. He kept healing. He kept pouring out compassion. He was not bitter. He didn't say, well, if this is the way you're going to treat me, I'm just not going to heal any more people. Come on. He stayed faithful to his call. And in our passage today, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 42. That's the bulk of the passage. Clarifying this, Matthew was telling his Jewish audience, Jesus is doing exactly what the Old Testament prophets said that the Messiah would do. He is the Messiah. And I love that Jesus does not let anybody or anything stop him from serving God with joy. And friends, that's my hope for for you and for me today is that we would not let anyone or anything stop us from serving the Lord and people with great joy. So I want to look at three aspects of Jesus' ministry that I think you and I can emulate today. Number one, we're going to see that Jesus' ministry was God-focused. Number two, his ministry was spirit-empowered. And number three, his ministry was grace-infused. It was God-focused. It was spirit-empowered, and it was grace-infused. So, number one, Jesus' ministry was God-focused. Look with me at verse 18, the first part. Behold my servant whom I've chosen. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well-pleased. Speaking of Christ the one who would come, the Messiah who would come. Now, it's interesting, and if you go back to the book of Isaiah, and you go to chapter 41, so you back up one chapter, and you read verse 9, you'll see that God refers collectively to the children of Israel as his servant. They are collectively called the servant of God. But as we know, Israel failed to live up to that standard. How did they do it being servants of God? They often fell into idolatry, they did, not, uh, they did not help the world around them point them to God, but instead they were influenced by the secular culture. They disobeyed God, their hearts were hardened towards God. they didn't trust the Lord after all He had done. but Jesus came to be the faithful Israelite, the true servant, the true son of God, the one who would finally fulfill God's redemptive plan. And one of the reasons that Jesus persevered in spite of opposition and temptation is because he stayed focused on God the Father. He was God-centered. His ministry was God-centered. John six thirty-eight. Jesus says this, "'For I have come down from heaven.'" Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That'd be a great prayer every morning when we got out of bed, wouldn't it? Today, my aim is not to do my own will, but the will of my Father in heaven. Though many opposed Jesus, here's what I want you to see, friends. He didn't lose sleep over who was against him. He didn't care what people thought of him. He didn't allow politicians or religious leaders or anyone else to steer him away from God's plan because he had one purpose, and it was to please the Father. And because Jesus' sole aim was to to, to please the Father, he could rest in the fact that that, that God was pleased with him. The Lord said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And if God before him, who can be against him? And, you know, I I was thinking about this and, and thinking about life today. And, you know, many people in the secular world have begun more and more even in this country to harass us because of our faith. Most of us understand how exhausting it is to be in the world but not of the world, to be constantly going against the cultural grain. It's exhausting And if we do not keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will become overwhelmed with opposition and tribulation. And that will lead to a suppression of our zeal and our passion for God and for ministry. I just got off the phone with Regina. And and again, she just lost her son. And she said to me, she said, Chris, I don't understand why this happened. But she said, I do not want to become bitter and here's what she said to me without knowing what I was going to preach on today. She said, Chris, she said, I have got to get in church and I have got to keep my eyes focused on Jesus or I will grow angry and bitter. How true is that for all of us? If we take our eyes off the Lord, if we start caring what others think of us, if we're always looking at the issues around us and we take our focus off Jesus, then we will lose our zeal and our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. As of March of this year, Barna Research showed that 42%, 42% of pastors in America have thought about quitting ministry altogether in the last year. 42%. 42%. Between COVID, church attendance declines, isolation, political division, the pains of ministry have just become too much for so many. And I have felt that, that pressure. And you know, if if we pastors, I've been in ministry for 20 years now, and I've learned that if I'm going to keep my hands to the plow. I've got to keep my eyes on the Lord because the minute I start looking at the discouragements the, the church attendance declined. The, the battles over masks and, and vaccines and, uh, and Democrats and Republicans and, and so on and so forth. And, and we see all these frivolous things that in the end don't matter. And, and you see all the tension and the harm it's causing in the body of Christ. It's like, listen, if I for a moment focus on those things, I'm done. But thank God we can rise above those things. And we can keep our eyes on the Lord. And it's not just pastors who have experienced frustration over the past few years. Many of you have become overwhelmed by the pandemic and the political division and the decay uh, in so many areas of our country, and it's robbed you of your passion for God. We got to keep our eyes on the Lord. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. You can look this up later, but I'll, I'll read it for you right now. Paul writes, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not hidden things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life, my life, it's hidden in Christ. You know one of the things that's helped me in ministry? It's to realize that my identity is not in my pastoring. It's not in my ministry. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. That takes the pressure off. Amen. Your life, it is hidden with Christ. And so keep your eyes on him. Stay God-centered. Not only was Jesus' ministry God-centered, but it was also spirit-empowered. Look at the second part of verse 18. Again, coming from Isaiah, the the prophecy about the Messiah, the Lord says, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, you might recall in Matthew chapter 4 that when Jesus was baptized, remember the heavens opened and God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the spirit descended like a dove and fell upon Jesus. And Jesus spent his earthly ministry ministering by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you might ask, well, isn't Jesus divine? And the answer to that question is 100% yes and amen. So then you might ask, well, why then would Jesus need the power of the Holy Spirit Spirit, if he is deity himself? And that's a fair question. One that has puzzled theologians for years and years and years. Let me just take you to a a text. You can flip here with me. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, chapter 5 through 9. Highly debated text, but one that's helpful here, I think. Paul writes this. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God... So, understand... Jesus is God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name what does it mean that christ emptied himself some in the charismatic church particularly today insist that jesus emptied himself of divine of his divine nature that is not true jesus never ceased to be god He has always been and always will be the the second person in the Godhead. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been uh, and always will be God the Son. So that's a really erroneous and dangerous belief for reasons I can't get into right now. But during his earthly life, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So, the text is clear that Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Here's what he did this is how it plays out to me. It seems that this is subtraction by addition. I know it's early in the morning, it's subtraction by addition. In other words, he didn't empty himself by saying, I'm no longer divine. He emptied himself by addition, by taking on human form voluntarily and submitting himself to the the complete frailties, if you will, of humanity, the pains and the sorrows. And so during his earthly life, Jesus voluntarily chose not to exercise his powers of deity independent of the Holy Spirit But instead, he chose sovereignly to submit to his human nature, ministering to people by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how I see this and how many theologians see it. Let me quote great pastor and theologian, Sam Storms, on this. He says, Jesus was fully human. And lived and ministered as a human being who drew on the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to preach with power and to heal the sick and to cleanse the lepers and to raise the dead. He was also simultaneously fully God, fully divine. But it wasn't by virtue of his divine nature as the second person of the triune Godhead that he lived and ministered and taught and healed. But by virtue or on the basis of his constant conscious dependence... On the Holy Spirit. Why does this matter? Why get into this? I know this isn't necessarily a theology class this morning. But I think this matters to us. Because if Jesus ministered during his earthly ministry. Only by the power of his deity. It would not do much for us as far as us emulating him. Because you and I newsflash. We're not deity. Tell your spouse that right now. (laughs) We are not deity. But if Christ submitted sovereignly to that human nature and depended on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the great news for us is, is that the same spirit that indwelt Jesus is the same spirit that fills you and it fills me. You and I have that same power. And if Jesus depended on the power of the Holy Spirit to minister, oh, friend, how much more do you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? If we want to continue to serve God and others with passion, friends, we cannot do it in our own strength. We've got to do it in the power of the Spirit. Every true believer has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit manifests Himself in different ways at different times. But we all have the Holy Spirit. But it is up to us to walk by the Spirit, something the Bible often talks about, and to minister in the power of the Spirit. Well, you say, how do you do that? I'm glad you asked. Number one... If you want to, you and I, if we want to walk by the power of the Spirit, minister by the power of the Spirit, then we've got to be people of prayer. Do you remember in Acts 1, verse 4? Uh, Jesus has now risen from the dead and he is with his disciples and he says to them, listen, they, they've seen the risen Savior. They are raring to go. They're ready to tell the world about Jesus. But Jesus, what's he say to them? Wait. Wait on the promise of the Father. I'm not leaving you stranded. I'm going to ascend, but I am sending you the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be my witnesses throughout the ancient world. What did they do? They went to the upper room, and what did they do in the upper room? They prayed. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. And then it's interesting, you go over just a, a couple of more chapters. Uh, you, you go to, uh, actually it's chapter 4 in the book of Acts. And you might remember that, that Peter and John were, were threatened by the Sanhedrin not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. They were threatened with their lives. You better quit doing things and teaching. I don't even want to hear the name of Jesus. And the disciples had to decide, am I going to listen to God or man? And they decided, we're going to listen to God. And so here's what they did. They got together with other believers. And what did they do? They prayed. And when they prayed and they asked God to help them in this endeavor, the Holy Spirit moved again in a fresh way. Again, they had the fullness of the Spirit. That's clear in Acts 2. But now the spirit was manifest again and and, and just in a special way. And the Bible says, then they went out and they continued to speak the word of God boldly. In other words, they knew, listen, we cannot go out and do what God has called us to do in the face of opposition in our own strength. It will crush us. And so they said, God, we need you. And do you know that probably the greatest sin in the American contemporary church is probably prayerlessness. And do you know that when we fail to pray on a regular basis, it's like saying, Lord, I can do what you've called me to do on my own. I'll holler if I need help. Friends, when we pray, we're recognizing our dependence on God. And you look at the ministry of Jesus and how often Jesus went and he got alone and he prayed and he prayed with the disciples. He was a man who was committed to prayer. And that's Jesus, God the Son. You and I need to emulate him and be men and women of prayer. How do we walk by the Spirit? Number one, it is through prayer. Number two, it is through community. I'm going to read you a text from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. Paul writes, do not quench the spirit. Now, some of you tell me if I end the service at noon, pastor, if you look at the clock, you're going to quench the spirit. Well, that's not how we quench the spirit, I don't think, according to the text. But let me just, can I take a little rabbit trail here? many of you said, pastor, don't worry about getting out at noon. Let me tell you why. The only reason I care, because I have a wife who works in kids ministry and has done so for 20 years. And we're begging for helpers downstairs. We're understaffed. And something happens to kids at noon. I don't know what it is. But um, we never want to stifle the, the, what the Spirit is doing. Um, and there are times that we will have service go on, but we'll say, hey, go get your kids if you want to stay. But that's the reason. So that's not the way we quench the Spirit necessarily. Paul says we do it like this by, he says, do not quench the spirit. He says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from evil. And so you say, well, I don't see community in here. Well, he says, do not despise prophecies. Prophecies are, it's not so much telling the future. It's a revelation. And it's something that Paul says in other places that you and I are to seek. It's words of encouragement one for another. It's things that God lays on our heart that are meant to encourage the body or other individuals within the church. And that tells me that if I'm going to welcome prophecies in my own life, I've got to be with other church folk. You've got to be with other church people. You can't sit at home on your computer and welcome prophecies. We need one another. And then he says, but by the way, test everything. That's important. So every word that everybody says is not necessarily of, of God. So you, you test those prophecies. So how do, how, do we, how do we live lives empowered by the Spirit? Through prayer, number one. Number two, through community. And number three, very important, through obedience. One way Paul says in, in Thessalonians to quench the Spirit is to Disobey the Lord, to grab onto evil. He tells us here, don't quench the Spirit, abstain from every form of evil. And this idea is reinforced in Ephesians chapter 4, which says we can grieve the Spirit through bitterness and anger and brawling and slander and I'll just tell you, I know this from experience in my own life and from 20 years of ministry. If you are overcome with anger and you are slow to forgive and you, are a, a, you lean towards becoming a bitter person very easily, you will sit in the church full of God-centered people and not feel the Spirit of God. Not be moved by the Spirit of God. Well, I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible. I don't understand. Well, because your heart's not Right? in any other sin lying sexual sin you name it, it 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 quenches the spirit of god so we've got to be careful that to walk by the spirit in other words walk in obedience to god we've got to be kind and considerate and love god and love people some of you are great to many people but at home you're horrible to your spouse and then wonder why you don't feel the Holy Spirit, or sense the Spirit's working in your life. It doesn't work like that. This is not just about behaving in church. It's about loving and honoring God everywhere you go. So Jesus' ministry was God-centered. It was Spirit-empowered. And number three, it was grace-infused. Matthew twelve nineteen it says that the Messiah, again, quote from Isaiah 42, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. I'm almost done. I want you to stay with me. It's so important. The Messiah, get what the prophet is saying. He did not come to quarrel and scream in the streets. He came in meekness and he came in gentleness. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly. In heart. Let's go back to the first century for a moment. Many of the Jews, as you many of you know this, they the typical Jew in the first century was looking for a Messiah who would come in and bring political change, military conquest. They would have wanted a Messiah who would obliterate Rome and all of their enemies. One who would come to the Gentiles, the pagans, and would just do away with them, crush them. They had no category for a Messiah who would come in humility and meekness and actually give his life for those people. He didn't come to crush the Romans. He came to die for them. Wasn't it Christ who said, Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. And then he goes on, Matthew quotes the rest of Isaiah here in uh, 20 and 21. He says, The bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. In the ancient world, reeds were used for many purposes, and if, you're, if a reed was bruised, it was useless, and then a wick that w- would smolder, it was, it's a, you know how it is, you have a candle or, or, or a lamp and that, that wick uh, goes down to the very end and it's, it's, there's no flame, but it just puts off that smoke. And What do you do? You put it out and you throw it away. So the bruised reed and the smoldering wick represent the broken and the worn out. And the prophet is saying that the Messiah would not come to crush the broken hearted. But he came, how many know, to offer grace and mercy and peace and life. Jesus' ministry was sustained in part because he did not come as some renegade who wanted to overthrow Rome. He came with the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. He went around pouring out compassion. His mission wasn't political, it was spiritual. Now, I feel the spirit. Wanting me to address this right now Some of you are going well, What about the temple when he overturned the money You know tables or whatever And I believe that There are people who love to point out that story To justify their wicked anger Not righteous indignation They blow up all the time well, And I said, well that doesn't seem very godly Well what about when he went in the temple Alright let's look at the rest of the gospel accounts Of what Jesus did And he was angry not with pagan people, but with the who, the religious people, the religious leaders. And so, you know, there are there are people today uh, all across America, particularly the Western world, and they are they are looking for a political Jesus, one who will further their p- political agenda. And you know, I, I'm going to say this as gently as I can, but. I wish our church was half as passionate, would have been half as passionate over the last three years about the gospel as they've been about masks and, and vaccines and all of that stuff on one side or the other. Friends, if, if you were half as passionate about reaching lost people as you were about your own political stinking agenda, this church would be packed out. There would be people in the streets right now. Revival would be upon Richmond, and I'm dead serious. And some of you are now bitter, and you're exhausted, and you don't feel any kind of spirituality at all because your cause has been political like the first century Jews, not spiritual. Let me just quote one popular pastor. I won't mention his name. I don't think it's necessary. I want to, but I won't. Here's what he said. Quote, in in this big public meeting, if you vote Democrat, I don't even want you around this church. You can get out. You get out, you demon. Now, if you play a clip somewhere from this, please make sure that you go back to the part where people know I'm quoting somebody and not saying this, all right? He says, you cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. I don't care how mad that makes you. You can get as blank. I can't even say this word here. You can get as blank off as you want to. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. You cannot be a Democrat and a Christian. You cannot. Somebody say amen. The rest of you and he's shouting, get out, get out. As part of the same rant, the pastor added, I ain't playing your stupid games. I'm sick of it. Everyone want to talk about insurrection. Mm, Let me tell you something. You ain't seen insurrection yet. You keep on pushing our buttons, you low down sorry compromisers, you God-hating communists. Maybe you'll find out what insurrection is, End quote. Let me just be quiet for a second. Does that sound like Jesus? Was Jesus about insurrection? You know, the sad part is not, I gotta be careful. It's not what this guy, uh, I can't even call him a pastor, what he was saying. But it's that people are flocking to his meetings all over the United States and they're applauding this garbage. I'm a conservative, I lean conservative. But do you think Jesus would be Republican or Democrat? No. This is not about anything political. He is the king. (laughs) It's about him. Amen? So I'm not saying, listen, I love this country and I love our freedoms. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to be involved in politics in any way, shape, or form. But it has overtaken so many of you. And it's robbed you of the proclamation of the gospel. It's actually robbed the people around you of hearing the voice of God. The torch of so many Christians has been dimmed and in so many cases almost extinguished because they've taken up battles that God did not call them to take up. In Star Wars, sorry to quote Star Wars here, but but, but Luke Skywalker had to master his anger if he was to prevent himself from becoming the enemy that he hated. And you know what I've watched over the last four years? I've watched Christians quote-unquote, become the very thing they hated, the angry bigots that they once spoke against. Beloved, if we're going to continue to run the Christian race with passion, we've got to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. May we repent of our bitterness and uncontrolled anger, and may our ministry... Be grace-infused. I'll ask Zach, wherever he's at again, to, to come up. Some of you are exhausted today. And for some of you, it's because you've taken your eyes off Jesus. And listen, it's easy to do. We've all done it. You've got issues in your life right now, and it's so hard to stay focused. I get it. But today's a day of re Calibration. You know, your GPS apps, you know how, you know, if, if you have your starting point and your, your center point and you can kind of move your screen around to see where you're going and then you're like, okay, where am I at now? And you hit the little button and it kind of recalibrates, recenters. That's what some of you need to do today. For others of you, you're spiritually exhausted because you're not walking in the power of the Spirit. You're trying to minister and serve others in your own strength and it won't work. You're not praying enough. You're not walking in obedience. Today is the day to get re-centered. Other, others of you are not emulating the meekness and the gentleness of Jesus. You're walking around with an iron fist. You're all about insurrection. You're shouting in the streets. Just a gentle reminder today to recalibrate, to re-center. Beloved, I'm not here to beat you up. That's, you know that's not me. But I'm here as your pastor and your shepherd. And let me be clear, you're under-shepherd. Christ is your shepherd. I'm here to plead with you to do something very specific today that I really don't ever talk about. And, and that is to recommit your life to Jesus today. It's what I feel like the Spirit's impressed upon me. Around, around the early 90s, Kellogg's came up with this memorable catchphrase that they used for Kellogg's cornflakes. Some of you will remember this. I think I have, we have a picture. Corn Flakes, taste them again for the first time. How do you remember that? It's a brilliant ad, really. It's, it's a call to relive the delight of a product. That may have lost its luster in your own mind. Well, Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to invite everyone in here. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to come to the Lord for the first time and taste and see that the Lord is good. To, to repent, to change past, to serve Him There's nothing like being with Jesus. And so if that's you, I'd invite you to come uh, to the front today. I'll be glad to pray with you or stay after service. I'll talk to you. But I know the majority in here, you are Christians. But today, I really feel strongly that there are many who need to refocus and recommit. To say, Lord, I've gotten my eyes off you a bit. I want to return to my first love. Lord, I've I've been about insurrection and not about gospel proclamation. I want to return. I want to recommit. Lord, I've not been praying enough. I've, I've been trying to minister in my own strength. I want to pray today that you would touch my life in a fresh way. And I want to commit to prayer and to dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Today, it's a new day doesn't matter what you did yesterday or in the past. All that's done. Today, I invite you to humbly repent. It's not about you can't be re-saved, quote, unquote. I'm not doubting that you're a Christian. I'm just saying many of us need to say, Lord, I'm going to get refocused today. I'm going to recommit my life to you. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. I want to ask you to come front, up front and we're going to, as a church together, say, Lord, we're refocusing today. Let's pray, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, thank you that we can call upon you. Thank you, O oh God, that you are who you say you are. Thank you, O oh God, for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you, Lord, that that we can keep our eyes on you and not be overcome by the pains of this world thank you that we can live lives that are empowered by your spirit thank you that you've given us the ability to walk through this hateful world in grace and mercy we bless you lord may we recommit our lives to you today to say we're going to be about what you want us to be about god we pray these things in jesus good name amen amen